we're talking about family. So in Lent, we, we have this theme in Lent. The idea of Lent is to begin to pour ourselves out, to empty ourselves, so that come Easter, we can be filled back up. And it, it is a cycle. It's a process. For You know, you, you truly have to, to find a way to empty yourself to receive more. And so what happens for us in Lent is we are kind of going each week through the different the mission of the church. What is the purpose of the church? Why does the church even exist, right? Now, most of us were taught the church exists because it's kind of where Christians, we hide from the world, kind of like the way that James just kind of said, right? We, we keep ourselves from being contaminated from the world. So these, these walls become security and safety and separation from the world, right? And so most of us were taught this is what the mission of the church is, but what's interesting about the gospel specifically is you find out the mission of the church is quite opposite. The mission of the church is to engage the world, right? The Great Commission was not to go into all the world and find the best hiding holes you possibly can and keep the gospel hidden under, right? Have you heard these, these verses in the Scriptures? No, you have not, correct? It's the opposite. It is the engagement for us to leave the places of safety, and to engage the world. And specifically, we're to engage the world in the places where it has need. Where does the world need? And this is the places where we engage it. And so each week in Lent, we're kind of hitting the different roles of the church. What is the purposes of the church? And so last week with Pastor Ryan, he talked about the church exists to be the, the church. What happens with this is the church is most desirable when it is actually being itself. I'll say it this way. Have you ever had a family, when you were a kid, was there a family that you wished that you were a part of? Like, yes. Okay, so like, there's that family, and you always thought, man, if I could just be a part of that family. Now, what's interesting about this, whenever I was a kid, there's a family, they were a little bit more lax when it came to what their children were allowed to do. Correct? Did you guys ever have those families? You know, like the, the parents are just, you know, you know, like they're all just being kids. Let's just let the kids be kids. And so I always thought, man, if I could be in that family, I'd have freedom and I'd be able to, you know, just be who I am and experience the world, right? Um, and so for me, the desire was always to be a part of that family. And the more that I saw the values this family had, the, the, the more I saw how different that family was from my family, I said, man, I want to be part of that family. Now, of course, as I grew up and I got older, you know, I started to think about it and say, maybe I didn't need to be a part of that family. But here's the concept that you have to keep. There's something about the church being different, which is crucial for us and the world. The world needs us to be different than it is. When you guys were in high school, every one of us was searching for a group to belong in. It's part of human nature. From your youngest circles, when you first begin to interact with friends at church or in family, you're trying to find groups of friends to be a part of. Come on, think with me, adults. Okay, just think back, okay? When you were a kid and everyone's playing, what's the first thing that happens? Clicks and groups begin to form, even at the youngest ages. Correct. Nursery workers, you can see this. Even, you know, at three, four, five, certain kids play with each other, certain ones don't. And certain kids go off all on their own, right? And, of course, it, 
You know, with the odds, if you want to play the odds, you're going to see this kind of play out as they get older. And of course, as we get older and we go into junior high, we each kind of find where can we belong. And then as we go to high school, where can we belong? Am I a part of this group? Do I sit at this table or at that table? And then, and then as we move on past that, am I part of the people who go to college? Am I part of the people who, who go to work? Am I part of the people who go to get a graduate degree? Am I part of the people who are going to be a nurse? We're always finding groups to belong in. We decide, am I going to be a church-going person, or am I not going to go to church? And if I do go to church, what church am I going to be a part of? Am I going to be a Baptist church-going person? Am I going to be a Methodist church-going person or a charismatic? Um, you know, it's very often, I don't know if you guys experience this, when you go talk to someone, you say, hey, so are you a Christian? And their response is, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Methodist, I'm a charismatic, correct? You're like, that wasn't my question. But what you're hearing is identity, correct? You're hearing how they identify with a what? A group, with a family. Now, I'm trying to be really nice, but this morning we need a little more energy just a little more. I know, it's, I know it was so beautiful yesterday, and today you woke up and it was cold, and it was cloudy today, but just a little more. You know what it's like to fit in or to what? Not fit in. The moment you didn't fit in, you sought out a new place to fit in, correct? You want to belong, be a part of something. This church, the people who stay in this church, it's not going to be about the teaching. The majority will not be about the worship. The majority will not be about the kids' church and the nursery. The majority of people who stay in this place will stay because of a feeling. Do I feel like I belong here? And this is the most important question most people will have to answer when they come to a place. And again, it doesn't matter if it's a church, if it's a club, if it's a workplace. You want to fit. You want to know that I fit in here. And so belonging is one of the most fundamental things about being human, that we all want to belong. And so when you look back at your life story, it is a long sequence of finding where you belong. If you are, if you are married, there might be people who are married to someone, and everyone else goes, I know exactly why they married. Makes so much sense. And you know where I'm going. And there's some of you guys who are married to someone who all your friends said, what? Why are you marrying that person? But they just don't get it. Because, see, what they were looking at was this metric or this thing or how attractive or how, how rich or how successful, how, you know, all these different things. What you were after was a feeling. Do I belong? Does this And as you have children, you begin to find this out too. With your first child, oh, they know that they belong. But the moment you have a second child, now each child begins to kind of have to adjust. Do I belong anymore, right? And so the first one begins to act out because they want more attention, correct? And as the second one gets older, they realize the first one gets attention, so now they want more attention. And then as you have a third child, now the whole thing changes again. And now every child has to fight for a place. And then if you have pets, who had pets before you had children? Were you those sad people who was like, these are my babies. These are my children. I hear that all the time, and I'm like, yes, you wait till you have kids. 
We'll find out what happens to those dogs and those cats. What happens to them? They get put to the bottom of the ring. They start moving down. And so, like, each day you walk in the door with a new baby, your, your pets have it. Then we need to pray for your parenting. Oh, wait. No, wait. You only got one kid, though. Okay. We shall wait and see. We shall wait and see. And if those pets and animals are getting a majority of retention, we're just going to say, we're going to pray for you and your kids. What happens is they all have to find a place to fit. And so every time you introduce someone new into the family, everything moves around. And again, what is constant is the need to fit, to belong. This is one of the most fundamental needs of the world. If this is one of the most real, universal, shared needs that all humans need, where do you think that God is going to move through the church to fill a need? And so one of the themes of the Scriptures is the people of God. Now, we don't fully relate to this because we're not Jewish. But if we were Jewish, you would understand that the Old Testament is about one thing, about the people of God, being the people, being included in this exclusive, important circle. If I could just be on the inside of God's people, if I could be inside God's home, if I could be a part of that family. And so the entire concept of the Old Testament was that Israel would be so different from every nation. The way they would operate, the things they would eat, the way that they would you know, do war, the way they would do civilization, everything about them, the way they would dress, everything about them would set them apart. And everyone would want to be on the inside of that family. I want to be a part of that group. This was the story of the Old Testament. Now what changes in this is that when Jesus comes, the entire narrative, the story, flips on this. And so now this exclusive family that only a, a small select group can be a part of, the circle begins to, to broaden, to expand. And as we just talked about, what happens when you bring in a new child into the home? Every other child in the home begins to fight for position because they know this attention is going to be separated between us, and i got to make sure that I get enough of mine. And so with Jesus, in the book of Acts, you see the stress and the strain that the church goes through of having to expand the household of God. So, let's say, for example, you have three kids right now. What would you have to do if instantly you woke up and you had five more children? I mean, you woke up, oh my goodness, where did they come from? From above, a gift from God. I'm so happy. Five more children. Who would not be happy, right? What are you going to have to do? Second job. Second job. You're going to have to need some more money, some more food, right? You're going to have to find, do a new house or expand the house, right? Okay, so we got to build on to this house now. We have to make room, correct? We have to, we have to fit people. How about cars? How are we going to drive them around? There's a place where every parent, okay, who has three kids or more, you realize we're about to cross that line, okay? We can stay naive. Hey, this SUV will work much longer. I can still be cool, you know? But then you start realizing at the three mark, 
An SUV just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. There's something else that makes a whole lot of sense. Minivan time. Of course, there's five more kids. We're talking full-size van, right? I mean, like the full-size van, right? And so that's going to have to change. Everything in your life has to change to make room. Now, if God has called the church to be, to be the family of God, the household of God on the earth, what, does that, what do we have to do? What does this look like? How do we make space? How do we bring people in? Now, what's happened in the last hundred years, the church in America has been very strong about trying to evangelize, get the gospel out. We've wanted to bring in as many spiritual babies as we could. Okay, the they have gone spiritual baby crazy, all right? So we've been bringing in spiritual babies nonstop for 100 years. But there's a problem with that. There's a problem with this. The evangelists were doing a great job of bringing the babies in, correct? And the pastors thought, that's a really good idea. We should do the same thing. But there's a problem. See, someone's got to change the baby. Someone's got to feed the baby. Someone's got to care for the baby. And, and you know what? Someone's got to mature the baby. And so what happens is this. All the babies flood the church, but what did we do? We just kept flooding the, the house with babies. If all you did as a parent was make babies, are you a good parent? Are you going to have a healthy home? We are great at making babies. Terrific. Babies everywhere. But now what? See, now the Duggar family works for a reason, right? Because the moment you're born, you have a, jo- a job, right? You have a chore, right? And so, like, the way that they work is, you know, if, you know, when you're two, you take care of the one, and the one takes care of, like, the six-month-old, and who knows how that's even possible. I don't know how that's possible. But they just begin, and, and so everyone learns that we, in order for everyone to fit, we all have to take responsibility, correct? Now, I'm not trying to model this church after the Duggars, but there's one thing that we do need to adopt from them, and that is responsibility, and that means to be a part of a family means that I'm also responsible, what, for the family. And what happens for us in these churches is, because for the last hundred years the church has only focused on making babies, we still have churches full of babies. And see, the problem with the baby is, is that a baby still needs its diaper changed. A baby still needs to be told when to eat. A baby still needs, you know, to be told when to sleep. A baby still needs to be cared for. A baby cannot care for a baby. What's, uh, with Rachel, what's funny about her is she's just now to that age where she's still a baby for us, but she's old enough to point out another baby who she says, oh, that's a baby. And so she said, baby, you know, and you're like, you're still a baby child. We have to have a family that is constantly growing and maturing. And we have to do this for one reason, because we are to continue to expand the family of God. But if all we are doing is expanding and not maturing, if all we're doing is going out but not going up, if all we're doing is increasing numbers but not maturity, we will have a a large family, but we will have a sick family. Most of the American church is a sick family because we do not have maturity. And the ultimate sign of maturity is responsibility. Example, as you get older, you begin to go through a process. 
you begin to be able to take care of yourself more. It's like with Jude. He's able to tie his own shoes. He can get dressed. He can take a shower. Awesome. Rachel, not yet, right? When Jude gets older and he gets a car, guess what? He's not getting a car because we love him so much. He's getting a car so he can do what? Drive the other kids, (laughs) correct? (laughs) See how this works. And and so the, the moment that he gets old enough and he goes to college, then guess what? You're old enough to take care of yourself. But then as he gets older and matures more, now he's old enough to take care of a spouse, to have someone else to care for and for them to care for him. And then he gets to a place where he's able to care for a spouse and for himself and for children. And you see how the cycle goes. As we mature, we're supposed, our ability to care for the needs of others is to improve and strengthen. The reason you have leaders in the church is they're supposed to model to you. Maturity looks like taking care of everyone else. Maturity looks like Diapers and trash and toilets and spankings. <laughs> Amen. You, we have a meeting, by the way. I mean, you, that face is great. <laughs> yeah, I'll be there. Spankings, right? Um, and so, in all of this, we have to understand that this is the goal. Yes, we are to be a family who expands. But to be a family that grows, we have to be a family who takes responsibility for the family. If you guys have your Bibles, let's go to um, Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verse 17. Ephesians 2, verse 17. When he came, he announced the good news of peace to you who are far away from God and to those who are near. Now he's talking about Gentiles, those who were... In the eyes of everyone else, okay, those who are unclean on the outside, and then to those who, Israel, on the inside. We both, both the unclean and the clean, have access to the Father through Christ by the one Spirit. So now, you are no longer strangers and aliens. I love that they use the word aliens. Rather, you are fellow citizens. Let's pause for a second. Let's Let's just sit on this language. Have you heard the word alien used before. Have, now, it's been a week since Facebook and news. I'm not sure if you've heard that word before. When we talk about aliens, we're talking about those who are not of this place. This is not their home, right? So, if you're not a citizen, you are a, an alien, an illegal alien, an, an immigrant. But you're only an immigrant if we allow you, to, who, who were an alien, to become a citizen, Right? So the idea is that everyone who's not from here is an alien. You don't belong here. This is not your home. You weren't from here. You weren't born here. And so God is saying, all of you were what? Aliens. And you're wanting to be immigrants. You wish. You want that to be true. You don't want God to turn you away. And so the response of God was not to turn you away, but what? Rather, you are fellow citizens with God's people, and you belong to what? God's household. Yes, family. Depending on your translation, I'll use all different words. And so in this, the idea is that you once were so far away that your home, your homeland is not this land. Your actual physical home is not here. And so he allowed you, who is an alien, a stranger, to now become a citizen, meaning now this land, this place is now your own. You belong here. But then he took it further. Not only do you belong around us, around God, you belong now inside God's household. So the language. He's bringing you closer and closer 
and closer. So the response of God was for you who was an alien to now become family. You are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ, Jesus Himself as the cornerstone. The whole building is joined together in Him, and it grows up into a temple that is dedicated to the Lord. A temple is a place where God dwells. He's to be found. And so what we're seeing in Ephesians, the place where God is to be found is not necessarily a physical building or a physical place. The place God is found is when those who were strangers are now functioning as the household, the family of God. Anywhere there is the family of God gathered, those who have nothing in common but Christ, God will be found. It instantly becomes the temple of God. This is the context for the passage you hear a lot. When two or more are gathered in His name, meaning when the only reason that we are together is Christ, this is what binds us, what joins us. We don't have the same blood. We don't have the same heritage or language or culture or hobbies. But what brings us together is Christ. And when that happens, that is the special place on the earth where God's presence is always found. In this temple... It's been dedicated to the Lord. Christ is building you into a place where God lives through the Spirit. If you see the, that, that verb building, it's a process. Now again, he didn't say he's... He, the building isn't the adding. The building is now, now that God has already added, now He's going to mature us to grow up. We're going to have to learn how to be the family of God. See, now being family doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come easy. When you were born, you don't instantly know how to fit into a family. You don't understand that. You have to be taught that. The reason we have parents is parents are supposed to teach us and to form us into things that we wouldn't know on our own. The only reason we have leaders in the church is because there's still people who need to grow up. I'll translate that. If every one of you was fully mature in Christ, you could fire me right now. Save a whole lot of money. Or not that much. But you get the point. The Apostle Paul even says that. He says the fivefold gifts, the reason we have the gifts, every one of them is to work themselves out of a job. We exist to equip until the body has reached full maturity, and then we have no purpose anymore. Thankfully, since we know each other, we know people, I don't think that job's going to be done for a very long time. So I think you have some security for a while, right? Amen. So with Jesus, the, he always has this process of kind of leading us into things. And so it's this. What I do to you, you do to them. Make sense? What I model to you, you model to them. What I do, you do. There's a word for that. To be a disciple. So with the rabbis, the teachers, when they would take a, a disciple, the context was not just to teach them. It wasn't, I'm going to teach you things to be as smart or as aware as I am. The context was, when I take a student, when this person becomes my disciple, they will become me. They will fill my shoes, 
and then they will go beyond where I've been. This is what it means to be a disciple. And so as this word is used and, and transferred to us, we are the disciples, the, the followers of Jesus. What this means is if he took a step, we take a step. We follow in the steps of Jesus. And so if God through Christ comes to everyone who is a stranger to God, a bunch of aliens, and through Jesus he brings the world into his family, what do you think he's going to call us to do? To turn around to people who are not our family, who are strangers to us, and to what? To bring them into what? Our family. If you guys have your Bibles, go to uh, Hebrews. Actually, no. 1 Peter 4. I apologize, guys, in the sound booth. 1 Peter 4, verse 7. I wasn't going to do this one, but I want to. <laughs> 1 Peter 4. Verse 7. This one starts off great with a bang. I love it. The end of everything has come. I love that. The end of everything has come. Therefore, be self-controlled and clear-headed so you can pray. Above all, show sincere love to each other because love brings about the forgiveness of many sins. Open your homes to each other without complaining. Just pause for a second, Peter. What are you talking about? The end of everything has come. Open your homes. To be hospitable. Have you guys ever seen? I mean, I'm sure you guys have. Okay, in the movies, when the world is ending, is that what you see? Everyone's like, hey, come into my home. Here's some food. Let's just share a meal together, you know? You know, when the world is ending... Things get lit on fire for some reason. Who knows why? We just light things on fire when we're scared. <laughs> fire will stop. It'll keep it away. Just light things on fire. We light things on fire. We steal things from each other, right? We, you know, all of a sudden, everyone runs to Walmart to, you know, like steal TVs. That's going to help you a lot. You know, when the asteroid hits the earth, that TV is going to save your life, brother. I mean, yeah. So we go steal things, and we light things on fire. And most importantly, we take care of now, there's a shift from the Old Testament to the New. There's a shift on how God wants His people to differentiate themselves from the world. In the Old Testament, it seems very straightforward. We will be holier than they are. We'll be better people than they are. And that's going to make them want to be a part of us. Did you grow up in a church that taught you the church is to be better than the world? Yes. Now, in it in a way that is absolutely true, but I bet you that you weren't taught the most important way. I was taught the way that we're going to be better than the world is to be more boring than the world. Correct? We're not going to watch anything good, not going to eat anything good, definitely not going to drink anything good. Just kidding. Come on, it's fun. It's fun. You know. Everything will be more boring. Marriages will be more boring. Our life Parties will be more boring. Everything will be so boring, and the world will go, man, I've been, you know what? I want to wear a skirt all the time. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. I mean, just, just think about it. And like, one day, it's just going to click for them. I wish I was a part of the most boring people on the planet. Please, Jesus, save me. You know, like, that's what we taught. That's what I taught. That's what I taught for a few years. That's what I modeled for a few years. I was very quick to let you know I was holier than you, and the moment that, that you ordered something you shouldn't order, I'd be like, so you sure about that? Yeah. I see this bracelet, WWJD. 
So the Jews understood this, okay? The Jews understood this. They understood that, that the goal was, was to be different by being superior, and superior in a religious, spiritual way. We are more holy. We are less sinful, less dirty than the world is. But when Jesus comes, he, he, he kind of has a problem with this. And, and what Jesus begins to show was that they misunderstood everything about the law. And so every time that Jesus is teaching, he takes their laws and takes it farther. So you were told, an eye for an eye, meaning that you are to control yourself and to be better than they are until they hurt you. And then you have freedom to hurt them back. They hurt you, you hurt them back. And Jesus says, but I tell you, no, 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 no. Love your enemies and do good to those who hurt you. Ooh, I don't like that one as much. You were told not to have relations outside of marriage. But I tell you, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust in their heart, you've already had the affair. But that's not really... Okay. And so Jesus takes these things and takes them to the extreme. And everyone says, no, 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 that's not fair. Because now there's no way that I can have this awesome, amazing sheet of how much better I am than everyone else. I can't keep track anymore because I can't control my thoughts and feelings that well. And then Paul comes and makes it more clear. The entire law was for one reason, to show you that even you were unclean the entire time, that every single one of you was as dirty as the next person. You just didn't realize it. Even the way that you tried to not drink like the other people drank or to dress the way they dressed or to do the things they did, even the way you did it, your heart was unclean, and that made you just as unclean. Are you seeing this? Because the shift in the New Testament is this. The way that we are to be different from the world centers on one thing. The world will always care for itself first, meaning human nature. The way that we will act if nothing else trains us or stops us is you will always take care of yourself first. You will naturally put yourself first. And so Jesus comes and says, okay, everything that God has ever said, I'm going to encapsulate everything into one action. I'm going to go and I'm going to allow these people to kill me. I'm going to allow them to strip me naked. I'm going to allow them to spit on me, to insult me. I'm going to allow my enemies to hurt me and even to kill me. And I'm going to show you that everyone who wants to follow me, this is how we will be different from the world. It's not that we will look cleaner on the outside. It's that we truly will put them first. It's called self-sacrificial love. Or I'll translate that. It's called love. To truly want the best for someone even more than your own good. And so everyone who follows Jesus will love in such a way that I will love my neighbor, the person next to me, as I love myself, which is what? First. And the way that the church will separate itself from the world is you will be a community, you will be a family that doesn't just take care of your own. You will not be that family with the gates. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Um, you, you, I, I get myself in trouble sometimes. You will not be that family who separates yourself from other people. You will be that family who has open doors. So what happens for us, those of us 
we enter into a family where everyone in the family has been adopted. Now, that's a very different family dynamic. Now, see, to be adopted, and I wouldn't know, but I would assume it's a little bit difficult when there's, there's biological children and there's adopted children. And so in the Scriptures, Pastor Ryan taught on this, there's only one biological son, which is Jesus. And the rest of the family is made up of the adopted, those who have been brought into the family of God. So you, if you choose to follow Jesus, will accept that your new home is an adopted one. And every brother and sister is adopted. And in this environment, in this context, when you turn to think about bringing children into your home, you have to remember this, that you have already been adopted into a home. You were already someone who had no home. You were already out in the dark, alone and lost, and you have been brought in. And so the natural response for the people of God is what? What we have received from God, we extend. So this morning, the challenge for us is this. It's all good and fine to talk about all this stuff, these spiritual things, right? But what do we do when it kind of hits home for us? What do we do with the fact that there truly are children out there, real children, not just spiritual children, children with no home? What do we do about that? How do we address this? How do we even respond to this? We started this, this morning in, in the book of James, and he told us that, that pure devotion to Jesus looks like these things. And one of the first things that pure devotion, that, that people who are fully devoting themselves to Jesus, what, what it looks like is caring for orphans, those who have no family. So the challenge for us this morning is to consider this. I'm not telling every single one of you that you need to adopt or to foster. I'm not telling you that this morning. What I'm saying is you have the responsibility to consider it, to pray about it, and to find out how can I follow Jesus into meeting this need. And there are all sorts of different ways we can do this. But the biggest thing I want to start with us on this is this morning as we close and as we kind of head out of here, we're going to have a booth out in the foyer. The goal for this week, for this Sunday, is I want at least 10 families to sign up to attend an info meeting. So the call is a, an agency who takes care of, they, they basically, they promote and, and they help equip families to adopt or to foster. It's a Christian church-based ministry. Uh, niece and I went to attend one, uh, it was last month, was it? Or was it this past month? And, uh, and so basically in this, there's no pressure when you go to the meetings. You don't have to do anything. But if you choose to do something, you have a team who's willing to help you, who's willing to, to help you figure out the next steps, to answer your questions, to make sure that you're, you are equipped to do something. Now, there are ways that everyone can be a part of this. You can adopt. You can foster. But there's also all these, all these other ways. We can, you can support families who are fostering who are adopting. You can finance it with, with money, with resources. With, you can even be a family who, who offers you know, the part-time 
care. If a, if a family who's fostering and needs to kind of go on a vacation, you can have those children in your home just for a weekend or for a few days. There are ways that every one of us can get engaged. The question is this, are you willing to be uncomfortable? That's the question. Nisa and I have been praying about this for a while, and it's one of those things where you can always find excuses. Well, I can't because of this, and I can't. What they should do have these info meetings, and just like have the kids just sitting in the corner. This is what they should do. You should just have the kids staring at you. Are you going to let them? I won't even go there. But you know what I'm saying. This is painful, and it's hard because it's uncomfortable, and it's real. The problem with so many things about following Jesus is that it's left up to your choice. And so, so many of us, we have a faith in following Jesus that really is just imaginary. There's no real steps we put to it. There's no real cost in the following Jesus. And if one of the most pure forms of devotion to Christ is caring for orphans, then I think this is where we need to start this morning. Amen? Would you guys stand with me? So I've got numbers and things like this, but I won't, I won't get into them. But basically, it's this. The amount of children, even in Arkansas who are in the foster system right now, I mean, they have, they have no permanent, stable family environment. There, there's no place of safety. There's no place of belonging. There's no place of uh, stability. There's no uh, consistent uh, parents to teach them and to equip them, to form them, to show them how to survive in this world. Uh, the amount of those children right now is scary. I think it hovers around uh, five to 6,000 kids are in the foster care system at any moment in Arkansas. And so, basically, the amount of open homes, I think in Fort Smith area, I want to say it was something awful. It was like 500 total open homes, thousands of kids in need, a few homes available. Do you see the issue? And so, these kids, they end up bouncing around. They go to these, these temporary facilities. And again, I, I'll let them say the details, but You can take the most amazing, pure child you can imagine. But if you put them in an environment with no stability, with no safety, with no, uh, no affirmation, no love, the chances of that child being able to grow and to mature, to be healthy, to be whole, to even survive, is slim. And so the way that the world needs us to stand out is not by being more holy, not by being sinless. The world needs us to stand out. They need to see Jesus in us. They need the church to model what it is to really be a family. They need to see that it's possible for people to live this life caring more about the person next to them than themselves. And so this morning, I want every one of us to consider signing up for that, for that class again. Um, I won't put pressure on you guys individually. I, I do not believe everyone is supposed to do this and to foster or to adopt, but, but I believe every one of us can get involved in some way, shape, or form. Father, we come to you this morning. We come to you as those who have been adopted. We come to, to you as those who had no home, who had no place, who d did not know where we belonged, but you gave us a home. You gave us a family. You gave us identity and safety. And Lord, I ask uh, 
that you would search our hearts this morning. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just put it on us. If there's any of us this morning who have been considering and praying or that there is a special call you've placed on our families to, to handle fostering or adopting, I ask that you would speak to us this morning. That it would be clear this morning. And Lord, I ask that you would show every one of us how we can engage. How can we help these children who cannot help themselves? How can we show up and be there for them the way that Jesus would if he were here for us? Jesus. Before we close, prayer team, if, if you guys would come on up. As we do every Sunday, if you guys need prayer for anything, we, we're here to pray with you. We're also here to talk, to listen. If you want to start your walk with Christ, we want to make sure you get the chance to start that this morning. Father, I just pray for every family in this room. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you have a call on every family in this room. Each family in this room has a purpose, a place where they belong in the kingdom of heaven. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for showing us as parents, as spouses, as, as individuals, show us where we belong. What is our mission? Where are we to make change and difference on this earth for Jesus? In Jesus' name, we speak blessing over the families, over the kiddos, Father, over our jobs, the finances, over our relationships. We ask in all things that you would be manifest, that we would put Jesus first in every area. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, guys.